This inspiring message comes to you from Impact Church in Kingston, Ontario, where we are committed to living like Jesus and loving like Jesus. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. If you're new uh, to this series, I just want to start with our definition of rooted this morning, just kind of so you know where we're going. And that word rooted literally means to be established deeply, to be firmly planted, or fixed in place. It means strong, irresistible, sturdy, difficult to destroy. How many want that kind of, how many want to be anchored to that? All right, all right, all right, all right. So our first week, we talked about the concept of being, of, of planting the seeds of the kingdom of God in your life. Last week, we talked about what God wants to do to grow those seeds in our lives. And today, we're actually going to talk about, are you ready for this one? How he prunes us. For greater fruit in our lives, either say amen or oh my, either one I'm good with, okay? Here we go. And I want you to, to understand right from the very beginning of this particular message that the, the, the concept of pruning is a natural byproduct of any relationship with God, but it also perfectly represents and ties into this relationship that we have in the natural. How many love, how many have a green thumb? How many love to be out in the garden? Obviously, we're not out in the garden right now. There's not much in the garden right now except snow and ice and a lot of not very nice stuff. And how many are praying that spring comes as fast as possible? Amen. All right, see. Okay, we're in agreement. But naturally, pruning makes a plant healthier and revitalizes its growth consistently. Spiritually, pruning makes a person healthier and revitalizes its growth consistently, and I'm going to even say this, not just its growth consistently, but its growth potential. In other words, the potential of growth in our lives comes when we are pruned. How many know that some of the goals of, uh, of educators all across the nation is to help prune off some wrong thinking in order to bring in the right thoughts so that they can develop the right ideas in order to build the next thought upon it? Math is famous for that, although not so much anymore with the new math. But the old math, I understood because it was this and then that going on top of that and then that went on top of that and it all made sense. Today it's like, what? You know what's bad when you did well in school and your kids bring home math, even from like grade two, and I look at it and I go, and Google has never become my best friend as much as when it comes to helping our children with math, because I have no clue what they're asking. I'm reading it going, where did two plus two go? <laughs> I know that. It's four, right? It's four, honey, right? It's four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you have to understand that the, the whole concept of pruning is to remove what is unhealthy, to remove what is not helping, to remove what is potentially even taking uh, nutrients and, and, and life away from in order to help produce nothing. So God wants to prune that, okay? So God is the divine gardener. You can trust him. He knows what he's doing. How many have ever seen a master gardener, a master horticulturalist? It's like it doesn't matter what they do. They know exactly what they're doing. They know exactly how to trim something. They know how to, literally how to bring something back, even sometimes right to the ground, in order to see growth happen again. But they just seem to know. It's like they're the tree whisperer. I don't know. It's like they just know exactly what to do and how to respond. But God wants the same thing. He is the master gardener, and he wants to shape our lives 
in a powerful way so that we can produce as much eternal fruit as possible. So in other words, if there's something in our lives that God deems as unhealthy, guess what he wants to do? Prune it. And I'm going to go one step further here. I'm going to mess with your theology potentially a little bit here. Are you ready for this one? If God sees something good, but he knows the potential is for great, he'll prune the good in order to help you get to the great. So many of us get stuck as a plant, if you can see it like that, because we are comfortable with the fruit that we are producing, even though it's actually underdeveloped. But it's what we're comfortable with. So we're just like, okay, yeah, you know, I grow two, two things a year, Lord, that's good enough for me. And he's like, but the potential's for 2,000. I like two. Two's good, I can count to two. I struggle to count to 2,000 with all the new math. So I'm not going to do that. You know what I'm saying? So good often becomes the enemy to great. Does that make sense? All right, I'm going to jump into our main kind of passage this morning. It's in John chapter 15, starting at verse 1, going down to verse 5. It says this, and you can read on the screen behind me. It says, I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more fruit, okay? You have already been pruned and purified by the message I've given you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you, for a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Those who remain in me, and I in them, will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. I wanted to share a couple of lessons, keys, principles, whatever you want to call them this morning about God's pruning process, just to kind of let you in on how he does things and why he does things, okay? Lesson number one, God's got a green thumb. What do I mean by that? He loves to garden. He loves to garden the hearts of people's lives. He loves to prune. Because he sees the potential. That's why he wants to do it. So John chapter 15 verse 1, this first verse it says, I am the true grapevine and my father is the gardener. What are, what are some thoughts that we can actually gather just from this very simple statement here? Well, the first thing is this. Jesus is the vine. In other words, all life comes from the vine. There's no other life that comes in any other way except through the vine. In other words, all things come from Christ. We have to understand that. How many know that naturally all nutrients for a plant to grow comes through the root system to the limbs and to the trunk? And then off to the branches. In other words, there's a life flow that comes naturally from those plants. And so if we are not connected to the vine, Jesus, the life flow is going to be severely hindered. Do you understand that? We're good. Okay. So now the second thought with this is that God is the one responsible for cultivating growth in people's lives. He is the initiator, we're simply the responder. He initiates what needs to be pruned. We just say, yes. Ooh, that hurts. Yes, okay, Lord, I get what you're doing. Why is this important? A couple things. There is no one more qualified to prune your life than the one who created it. He knows you. He knows your tendencies. He knows what you're thinking right now. He knows the struggles that you're about to face on Monday, or I guess we have a holiday, on Tuesday. 
at work for some of you. He knows the things that have been weighing you down. He knows the connections in your life that are actually producing an unhealthy attitude. He knows the sources. And God loves to eliminate any source that's not going to bring life to your heart and mine. I want to say this. Not only is he the most qualified because he created you, he's also the most qualified because he knows better than anybody else how to tie everything together. How many have ever tried to make something happen in your life in order to prove that maybe God has healed me? When the process of God is, I heal you, and then I empower you to do what's already, I, what already I placed in your heart, that eternal seed that's already in your heart is going to come to fruition now because we got all the other stuff out of the way. He is the author of life. You can trust him. Second thought is this. I'm going to call it the art of elimination. John chapter 15, verse 2, it says this. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. And he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so that they will produce even more. Okay. So one of the main roles of a gardener is to not only prune, but to prune dead, fruitless, or broken limbs. That's the goal. That's what he wants to do. Okay. Why? Because he knows it's going to hinder. So, a couple thoughts here. Why is this important? Because there's far too much, if I can say it as nicely as I can, wasting of nutrients on dead limbs that are not coming back. So he's going to prune them off so that those nutrients can actually go to those things that are producing life and producing fruit. So that's kind of mean. That's scripture. Sorry, I come up with something different, but if I came up with something different, then I wouldn't be scriptural. So what he does is he recognizes those areas that are broken or lifeless, and he says, okay, I'm going to cut it off. So what could that be in our lives? I mean, basically, it could be sin, for sure, but I'm going to go one step further. It could be unhealthy relationships. God has a way of breaking those things off, okay? It could be somebody influencing you. It could be discipline in your life that God wants you to accept and accept the Google Calendar just like last week. And if you don't accept it, then he's, you're going to go around the mountain again until you come back to that thing. Trust me. Take, take it from somebody who has run around the mountain way too many times. It is never worth your time. It's a waste of time. It's better just to say, yes, sir, get it over with. It's like going to the dentist. Can I get a witness? Come on now. It's like you walk in the door and you smell that smell. And you're like, how do I not heave on the, the administrator at the front desk? when I, I don't know about you, but that smell bothers me. So when I don't go to the dentist and they ask me on the phone, why haven't you been? I'm like, can I be honest? I mean, sure. It smells. They're like, What? It smells. I said, you know how some people love co the coffee smell? And then other people don't like the coffee smell and it actually turns them off? I said, dentists and their buildings make me queasy. And then once I have to get past that painful process, then you want to murder my gums. And pick away at my gums, missing the teeth completely, and then tell me that, well, you know, you've got a genetic problem in your family, and you may have the same problem too. <laughs> and I go, get off my gums now in the name of Jesus. I said, if you would scrape the teeth 
I wouldn't bleed. Teeth don't bleed. Work on the teeth. You are called dentists. Because that's what dentists do. And his response is always the same. We work on the whole mouth. And my response is, well, <laughs> I'm not going to tell you what my response is. Because <laughs> it's really ungodly. It's, it's not good. It's one of those moments where it's like you come to somebody and you say, can I just ask for forgiveness now just to save time later? It's one of those moments. But I want you to understand something. That when broken things are still there, there's a smell. We know that. If you love to garden, you know that broken things start to smell. And it's not the nice kind of smell. But when fruit comes, the aroma is beautiful. So God wants you to have the courage to let him eliminate some things from your life. Amen? Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it says, For the word of God is alive and powerful, it's sharper than any, uh, any uh, two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit. Your soul is your mind, your will, and emotions. And your spirit is the good part, the God part of you that, that comes alive when you become a believer. It says between joint and marrow expresses or exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. So one of the things that the word of God does in our lives, the word of God is the master pruner. The word of God, which you probably read this morning in Psalm, what were we read this morning? Psalm 48. You're going to read certain things in Psalm 48, and you're going to read something that goes, oh, my life doesn't line up to that. So that's God's way of saying, can I prune that? Can I deal with that? And it's the word of God that actually divides what is soulish, my mind, will, and emotions, from what is spiritual, so that we can walk in what is spiritual. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, it says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. Let's let go of every weight. And the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And who do we look to? We look unto Jesus, who is what? The author and the finisher of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I want to say one thing. If Jesus is the one authoring the pruning, he will absolutely complete it. And you can trust him to, com to complete what he has started. Um, I want you to understand this morning, God does not prune us because he's angry with us. He actually prunes us because he loves us. He's not angry. He's actually because he loves us so much, he wants to prune us. Okay? And why is he pruning us? Well, this verse literally says because there's a heavenly prize he wants to prepare us for. There's an eternal prize that he's preparing us for. Okay? So in order to finish the heavenly race, we have to remove those things that would ensnare us, hold us back, weigh us down, disqualify us. From the finish line. So in other words, less is more. How many have ever seen a 100-meter dash at the Olympics? I love the 100 meters. I just, I wait till the second Saturday night of every Olympics because it's like, here we go. Now the Olympics have started. Everything else is like, okay, that's cool. 100 meters. And have you ever noticed the difference between a 100-meter dash runner and a marathon runner? A 100-meter dash runner, are, they're built. They're, they work out. Their legs are as wide as my whole body. They are massive, you know, just massive. I remember uh, in the 1996 Olympics, and I because it was just a highlight for Canada when Donovan Bailey won 
the Olympic gold medal in, in Atlanta. Of all places, we did it in the U.S. It was like, yeah, that's awesome. And then our 4 by 100 meter team won the next weekend in the 4 by 100 They beat the U.S. again. And there's something interesting about Donovan Bailey. He was this massive, six foot three and about 240 pounds of absolute muscle. But if you ever watch the marathon race, they're 121 pounds soaking wet. Because anything that's extra hinders them. Anything that's extra slows them down. And so they will literally have some of the smallest BMI, body mass indexes, in the entire world because they don't want anything extra on them. And what God is literally saying yeah, you can have all of this stuff, and you can run a race and look really impressive in the 100 meters, but the kingdom of God is not a 100-meter race. It's a marathon. So you have to be prepped and ready for the long haul. And God is saying, listen, if you bring all of this junk and all of this baggage and all of this stuff from your past with you, you're going to just be weighed down, and you're going to run the 100 meters, yeah, and you're going to maybe get to 150 meters, and then you're going to fall over and die. But I'm trying to prep you for 26.4 miles long. 42 kilometers for all of us Canadians for a marathon. Are you ready? So what he's going to do is he's going to start to cut away some of that extra stuff. He doesn't want anything to slow your pace. He doesn't want anything to hinder you. He doesn't want anything to weigh you down. Lesson three, deep roots produce good fruit. Pretty basic thought, but I think it's good. It says in verse four, it says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. This is Jesus talking. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. For without me, you can do absolutely nothing. I don't know about you, but this metaphor that Jesus is actually talking about here, it, strike, it kind of struck me as a little bit odd. Vine branches don't have to try to abide in a vine. They just do. Right? They don't have to be in the vine because they're vine branches. They're already connected to the vine. I, as soon as I saw that, I was like, that's weird. So in other words, the only way that this could become a problem is if the vine branch is detached somehow from the vine. Or if someone or somebody else or something detaches us from the vine. Does that make sense? This is significant here for a couple of different reasons. So everything that is attached to something in life um, ga gathers life and gathers nutrients and support and energy from that thing that they're attached to. In other words, no living thing survives in isolation for very long. Bring a fish out of water, and the, as soon as that fish is coming out of water, the process of death begins. Pick a flower, or what I love is pick a real Christmas tree, you know what I'm saying? And then three weeks later, you have to clean up the mess. <laughs> but the process of death starts happening the moment a flower is picked, the moment a fish is plucked out of water. Because it's been removed from its life source. Do we get that? So here's what I want you to get. If, if you can only get one thing today, this is the thought I want you to get. Satan's entire strategy from the beginning of human history has been to entice people into detached living. 
It is his strategy from day one, and it's never changed. You say, okay, prove it. Okay, all right, I will. Adam and Eve. What did he attack? Very first thing he attacked and tried to sever was their relationship with God and then each other. How many of you have ever gotten into the blame game with your spouse? Do not put up your hand. But right away, the goal of Satan is to detach Adam and Eve from their life source, God. The second thing he did is to try to detach the life source of their marriage and literally separate them in their marriage. And then he didn't stop there. Then he attacked their kids. Cain and Abel. We read the story in Genesis chapter 4 how Cain brought a, it literally says, in the process of time, he brought his, uh, his, his uh, harvest to God as an offering. And Abel brought his, his offering right away in the way that God had requested and asked. And at, as a result, Cain got angry, Cain got mad. And instead of just dealing with it in a rather normal way, he killed his brother. And it says in Genesis chapter 4 that his blood was crying out to God. Why? Why was his blood crying out to God? Because blood is the sign of covenant. And God's heart is incredibly sensitive to covenant that is broken. And what he heard was, Satan has caused another one on the planet to detach themselves from the life source of God. And the interesting thing is the consequence of Cain murdering Abel was that Cain became the first detached person living on the planet. It says in Genesis chapter 4, verse 12, it says, you will be a restless wanderer on the earth. That's the description of Cain. It goes on in verse 16, and it says, and Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. Catch this. He left the presence of the Lord, his life source. Where did he end up? He ended up in a place called Nod. Do you want to know what Nod means? It means a place of wandering. Detached. Living. Satan's goal from the beginning of time is to separate you from your God-ordained attachments and cause you to live a detached life apart from God and his family. So what are some of the things that he starts to prune? He starts to prune the attitudes that says, I don't need anyone else, I I could do this on my own. He starts to prune the attitudes that says, I only need God when I'm stuck. He's my 911 God. I only call him when I'm really going through a really hard time. And then I call him. And what we have to do this morning is, is, and I say this, you know, as I'm trying to think, as confidently at the same time, as sensitively as I can, what I believe God wants us to do this morning is to see the lies and the deception of the enemy for what it is. To not get duped anymore about what he's trying to do. He is trying to separate you and detach you from your God-ordained attachments. First and foremost, your relationship with God. That's what he's doing. So if you wake up one morning and go, what in the world's going on? That's the plan. That's Satan's goal. That's, it, that's what's going on in his war room right now as the general's in, the, in hell. That is exactly what they're trying to do. Their only goal is to detach you. Why? Because the moment you're detached, you don't have life flow coming from Christ. The moment you don't have life flow uh, coming from Christ, you have no ability within yourself to overcome not only the ploys, the enticement of the enemy, but the attacks of the enemy. And there's far too many wounded warriors called Christians living on our planet today that are hurting, that are broken, that that are struggling. And God is saying, get attached to the vine and to the vine branches again. Because they'll bring life where you are struggling. Amen?
All right. Why are we so easily deceived? Well, I think where we struggle, and it's the same thing that started in Genesis chapter 1, 2, or 2, 3, and 4, is why do we struggle? It's because we believe that we are vines, not branches. Satan's original deception to Adam and Eve was, you will be like God if you eat this tree, or eat from this tree. If they ate the tree, that would be impressive, but they're eating from the tree, okay? (laughs) Wow, that's, anyhow, moving right along. So that was the original deception, you will be like God if you eat from this tree. But we fall for the same thing today. If we want to be vines, we want to be vines and not the branches because we want to bear our own fruit and we want to be our own gods. We want to live our own lives and we don't want anyone else telling us how to do it. The problem with that is the root of that is pride. And when the description of Lucifer in Isaiah 14 talks about the reason sin actually ended up in heaven in Lucifer's heart was pride. It's described as the five I wills in Isaiah chapter 14. I will ascend to the throne of God. I will be like the Most High God. I want to be a vine. I don't like being a branch. I don't like being dependent on somebody else. I just want to be a vine and live my life so that everything's just vine with me. Okay, that was not my best, but it was worth the attempt. Okay, all right, okay, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. right. So Jesus addressed this whole thought directly in verse 5. He says this, I am the vine. You are the branches. Don't get that messed up. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do a little bit, nothing. Jesus tells us that a branch can only bear fruit when it is connected to the vine, the source of life. Amen? To abide in him means we will automatically bear fruit. Abide means to, the literal definition of abide means to accept or act in accordance with a rule, decision, or recommendation. Synonyms would be obey, to observe, to follow, to uphold, to heed, to accept. Why is this important? Well, if we dump, jump down a couple of verses, we'll see the reason for this. In John 15, verse 10, it says this, what it means to abide. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So uh, to abide means to obey his commandments, to follow his commandments, to be a follower of Christ. Amen? So we abide through relationship. We pursue in love. We pray in love and we obey in love. All of that from the sense of that relationship we have with Christ. So the only way that we're going to see Jesus' uh, growth and Jesus' fruit and Jesus' Moments in our lives is when we are deeply rooted and connected to the vine, the source of all things. Why is this entire storyline so important? Why is the concept of pruning so important? I want you to hear this. Because a gardener only prunes what he believes in. Only. The evidence of his love is the fact that he's putting his thumb, his green thumb, on you. The evidence of his care and concern and belief in your future is seen when he starts to put his finger on areas of your life that you don't want to let go of. 
I want to read Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 to 11, then I'm going to just pray and we're going to close for this morning. I'm going to read it from the Message Bible. And it says this, my dear child, don't shrug off God's discipline, or we can say it like this, don't shrug off God's pruning, but don't be crushed by it either. It's the child he loves that he disciplines. The child he embraces, he also corrects. God is educating you. That's why you must never drop out. What are we dropping out of? Well, his school called pruning, his pruning school. He's treating you as dear children. This trouble you're in isn't punishment, it's training, the normal experience of children. Only irresponsible parents leave children to fend for themselves. Would you prefer an irresponsible God? No. We respect our own parents for training and not spoiling us, so why not embrace God's training so we can truly live? While we were children, our parents did what seemed best to them, but God is doing what is best for us, training us to live God's holy best. At the time, discipline isn't much fun. It's, it always feels like it's going against the grain. Later, of course, it pays off handsomely, for it's the well-trained who find themselves mature in their relationship with God. God only prunes who he believes in. And I want you to understand this morning that there's two major thoughts that are in opposition to one another. God's love evidenced by his desire to prune and the enemy's hatred for the kingdom of God in his desire to detach you from the life flow of Christ. There's no in-between. There's no gray. There's no, oh, I'll get to that one day. It's either we're saying yes to one or we're saying yes to the other. How do I know? Oh, man, I could write a book on how many times I have said no to God's pruning process and how many times I've got burned by it. How many times I wish I just said yes. How many times I wish I understood the heart of those people around me that said, it's going to get better. It's going to get better. It's going to be good. Just say yes. Just say yes to God. He's going to do it. Why? Because he believes in you. That's why he's pruning. So don't take it as his discipline in the sense that he's angry with you. Take it as in his, his discipline because he believes in you and he wants to see you do everything that he's planned and purpose for your life. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to one of our messages from Impact Church. We hope and trust that this message encouraged you. If you want to find out more information about our church, check us out online at www.impactkingston.com.